So about 45 minutes goes by, and the guard calls up from downstairs. The station is in Asbury Park. And he said, you have a visitor. And I said, well, no, there's no visitor here. The dude, you got a visitor. So I turned on the monitor. We had a camera, and it was Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yes, the Bruce Springsteen. Not Rick Springfield, Bruce Springsteen. I'm thinking, wow. Today is the day that we get to finally sit down and talk to Mr. Ed Healy. And no guarantees where it's going to go, what direction. I'm excited to have our friend join us in our alumni series. Good afternoon, Ed. Good afternoon, Rich. And I guess first and foremost, you're going to have to lower your expectations. <laughs> That's what my parents told me. <laughs> I'm not all that interesting. I know you've been waiting for this for a long time, but uh, you're really going to have to lower your expectations, my friend. Actually, it's it's all the mail, the emails I've been getting, and the private messages that says, when do we get Ed Healy? I mean, uh, there's protests that are forming. I mean, I just <laughs> I had to I had to deliver. So thanks for uh, saving my hide here and, and coming on our podcast. I expected protests, but I thought that it would be protesting the fact that you wanted to have me on. <laughs> Ed, I trust that you, Donna, and your kids, and most important, little Princess Caroline, are doing well. We're doing fantastic. Everything's uh, going really well here in Florida. We're uh, enjoying life, Rich. Thanks. I'm going to ask you to just take a step back, and our conversation is just going to go whatever direction you wish. One request on my part is is that we're going to just try to visualize as two buddies, longtime Woodbridge friends, you and I are going to visualize ourselves not here on two telephones, but rather you and I are sitting in the dugout at the Van Buren Little League Field, and I just came back from running down to Stewart's. I've got a tray of chili dogs and a big container of ice frosty cold root beer. Let's talk about life since our Little League team experience. That sounds like a plan, Rich. I'd love to do that. I want to break the bad news to you, though. I don't know if you know this, but there was a crisis for four years while we were going to school at Woodbridge High, and that was we all said our prayers at night that John Carvana's family would not move out of the school district because we knew we were one heartbeat away from you being president of our class. <laughs> you have no idea the fear that that was instilled in all of us. So a shout out to John 
staying well and staying in town because we didn't have to rely on Mr. Healy's guidance. Well, Rich, this may come as a surprise to you, but I was praying for the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) There was was no way I wanted to take up that seat. No, John had his hands full, and the last thing they needed was Ed Healy getting involved in anything like that. How did that exactly work, the election process, as far as John being president, you being vice president? Did you run against each other, or did you get the second amount of most votes? Do you remember the process? I I do remember the process. I remember John ran for president, and then I figured if he's running for president, there's no way I'd win. So John ran for president against Rick Hornick, and I put in for vice president, and John got the most votes for president. He beat Ricky. And then uh, I won the second place, and I honestly forget who I ran against. But uh, it, it was a process where I no, I didn't come in second. Thank you very much. <laughs> I have to admit, <laughs> a lot more involved than I thought. I, yeah, I feel yeah. kind of, I feel kind of bad. I mean, kind of bad that I gave you a hard time over it. Well, look, don't feel bad about it, Rich. I expected a hard time. Otherwise, at one point you lived right across the street from junior high on near Barron Avenue. And I don't think there was one day uh, throughout the school year that you were actually there on time. <laughs> well, no, I, I would actually basically wake up when I heard the first bell ring. I'd brush my teeth and I'd barely get to, to my homeroom by by the time the second bell rang. What, did you go to um, St. James School or did were you public school all the way through? I did go through St. James up into through seventh grade. So I started Woodbridge Junior High at eighth grade. They had enough of me at the uh, at St. James. The sisters would biff me all the time, and by biffing, I mean they grab me by the cheek and tell me, "Mr. Hill, you're so bold." And they just like to biff me one, and and this they did. <laughs> and and that didn't that didn't stop because I think the uh, uh, the teachers at Barron Avenue Junior High probably uh, had to tolerate you as well. It lasted up through senior year. Mr. Keating wanted to biff me as well by the time I got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> did you have Did you have any particular teachers that you enjoyed? I, I really did enjoy Mr. Keating uh, back in our senior year in high school. Um, he was actually, at the end of the year, Alan Devon and I had him in the same class. And we were teetering on whether or not we were going to graduate. And he actually came to Alan and I and said, uh huh, he asked me, he says, Mr. Huey, I can either pass you or fail you. You know, let me know what you want to do. And at that time, Rich, Vietnam was going on, and I was not going to college because I didn't have the, the the money nor the grade to go to college. And I actually said, Mr. Keating, can I get back to you? He sort of stared at me for a little <laughs> bit, and, and he said, really? I said, yeah, you know, I, I may want to spend another year at senior high school. You know, it's, I finally came back to yeah, I'll graduate. I re- recall when you mentioned Mr. Keating's name, he was so easy to embarrass because he would turn beet red if there was something that threw him off course. Do you recall that? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I did it all the time. Me and Chucky Frank would make sure we did something almost every day to turn him purple. We talk about classmates, and Alan Devrin was your ride or die, wasn't it? He was, was he your partner in crime? And one of the the best sense of humors, and God rest his soul. Um, but you two were uh, like Pete and repeat, were you not? Absolutely, yes. Through uh, through all of our high school years, yes, he was. God bless him. Yeah, rest his soul. He's a great guy, and I'm sorry to lose him several years ago to a stroke. Let's talk about after high school for a moment. You 
didn't go to Vietnam, but you went to work at Ronson right after high school. How did you get and what did you do there and how long did you last and did they tolerate you? Well, there seems to be a recurring theme here, Rich, where you don't think it, 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 it takes a lot for people well, to tolerate you. Well, I tolerate uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's just like the doctor giving somebody drugs. Well, if you tolerate this, we'll take it up a notch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your reputation. Yes, yes, they did tolerate me at Ronson. In fact, I lasted there until I received my draft number, which was number 12. Our, our senior class, our year we were born, 1952 was last in the United States uh, military draft lottery, and I won with number 12. So I uh, joined the U.S. Navy at that point. I did not go to Vietnam, but um, I was at Ronson. They tolerated me for uh, a while. And then when I got out of the service, I was able to go back to Ronson because of the uh, great GI benefits. So I left uh, Ronson in 1989 and went to Hess. And what did you do for them? So I was always the um, I was the quintessential last person ever to go from the mailroom to a senior director in your life, right? Yeah, I actually started in the mailroom at Ronson and then worked my way up to uh, delivery driver and uh, mailroom, mailroom supervisor, computer services, and worked my way up through the directorship before I finally retired in 2014 and all of that without college. And, and that, that took you from Woodbridge to New York, correct? Yes, that was uh, that, that was absolutely wonderful. I worked for Hess, uh, Leon Hess in New York. Uh, most people who work for Hess do not get to meet Mr. Leon Hess, who owned the New York Jets as well. And I worked directly for him doing several projects, uh, office building, uh, startups, and different things in his procurement department. I was one of the few people actually got to meet Leon Hess, and there's a funny story about uh, when I left Hess in 1990. From what I understand from his secretary, Leon Hess was very upset that I was leaving. And I, like I said, he would fire people left and right, but when he found that I was leaving, he wanted to talk to me before I left. So I went to his office one day. It's all green and white, just like the New York Jets, and he's sitting there, and he's smoking a big stogie, and he goes, you have been a great employee for 11 years, and I'm sorry we couldn't do more to keep you. You are fantastic to have around here. And as you go through life, as you go through life, young man, I want you to always remember you have a friend in Leon Hess. My, <laughs> Rich, my, my head got so big, I was, I was about ready to explode, right? I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is great, right? So I got up because I just want to say you're a great man. I said, well, thank you, Mr. Hess. He says, thank you, Doug. <laughs> I went, Doug, my name's Ed. <laughs> the George Costanza story. Exactly right. Yeah, he wasn't around at the time, but I guess I was the predecessor for George. 1990, you took a job with Sealand and you traveled the world. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it was the same type of job. I always worked in the uh, facilities department and, and uh, corporate purchasing, uh, doing different things. So uh, I had an opportunity to. Uh, leave New York City, which I love working in New York City, but Sealand was right around the corner from where I lived in Woodbridge. I, I, I went back to Woodbridge, and Sealand was over in Edison, New Jersey. So I figured, you know, with uh, we had a new baby. Jonathan was born in 1989, and uh, like I said, 1989, 1990s when I left. I figured I'd just work you know, two blocks from the, you know, two or three you know, blocks or miles from where I lived. And I, I went there and joined, and next thing I know, we were doing a lot of different recruiting and everything. 
And instead of going to New York traveling, I was traveling to Cyprus and Hong Kong and Rotterdam. So I was going all over the world. So what I thought was closer to home turned out to be worldwide. What's your favorite spot that you traveled? Oh, I traveled all over uh, Cyprus, Hong Kong, Rotterdam, Alaska, San Juan, Honolulu. I think the, the, the one thing I, I really liked, as opposed to a favorite spot, is the one thing I will tell you is, as you're traveling, you think it, it's it's a lot of joy seeing different places in the world. And I really did. But the one thing that I always loved more than anything was getting back on a plane and coming home and going through customs and landing back on U.S. soil. There was nothing ever better than that. Just being back home in the United States was wonderful. It was like a good old pair of slippers, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It's good to be home. You know they're going to fit. You know they're comfortable and you know you're safe. So, you know, that we had that going for us. It was really nice. Now, in my favorite cities I've been through, I I, I fell in love with San Francisco. Uh, I, I loved San Francisco. I had hoped someday maybe I could uh, retire up there, either San Francisco up near Stinson Beach right over the, uh, the Golden Gate. But I probably wouldn't want to go to San Francisco these days. It's, it's changed a lot over the last decade or so. No offense, John Carvana. <laughs> what did you like most about the Bay Area? Just the different diversity it had going for it. I mean, you had anything you wanted in, in San Francisco. I know that that's true about most cities. New York's the same way, but it, it seemed extremely clean, well kept. It was beautiful. The the water, the architecture, the the terrain, the food. And when you say food, you talk about many choices, of course. Nineteen eighty ish, you started your journey in your dream. And to be able to have that as a large part of your life, share with us that dream. Well, um, this may take two hours, but what the heck? We both have time, don't we, Rich? Yeah, we're old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to push back my nap. That's all. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Well, you're on California time. I'm on Florida time. I'm overdue for my nap. Or dinner. Or dinner. <laughs> or dinner. Yeah, speaking of food. Yeah, dinner so, with so, a <laughs> So, So most of my life, I was really, really into music. And while the my, my four brothers and sisters and my mom and dad would watch TV, I'd be up in my uh, bedroom listening to the radio. In fact, when they went to bed, um, I always had a transistor radio underneath my pillow just listening to music. I loved music. I had my 45s like everybody else, my little box and each week I'd make up my own top 100 and I'd just mix them up a little bit. And I always, always wanted to be on the radio. I just always had that dream. Anyway, time, you know, time goes by and you just don't live the dream. But I was working at Hess and Hess would always have layoffs. It seems like every other year we would have a layoff. And I had one guy who worked for me. He was the supervisor in a print shop. His name was Jack from South, uh, South Amboy. One of the best baseball players I've ever seen. Well, Jack would come in every year and say, Am I going to get laid off? Am I going to get laid off? Am I going to get laid off? It's like every year. It's like, Jack, no, no, you're, you're safe. Don't worry about it. But I finally said to him, well, Jack, you know, why are you worried about getting laid off? You're a print shop manager, right? You, do you want to do this the rest of your life? Is your goal to be the print shop manager at Hess? And he said, well, no. I said, well, what are your goals? And he's, he's struggling. I said, well, you're the one of the best baseball players I've ever seen. In fact, I pushed him on that. He said, well, I always want to go to school and, you know, college and be a baseball player. I said, Jack, follow your dream, man. Don't worry about this. This, you know, you'll, this is just a job. And he got up. He was all happy. He says, I'm going to follow my dream. I'm going to follow my dream. He's almost out the door, Rich. And he stopped. He goes, 
wait a minute, dude, what's your dream? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I said, well, I always wanted to be a DJ on the radio. And he says, well, when you follow your dream, I'll follow mine. Well, at that point, I called the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in nearby Stratford, Connecticut, and found out what I needed to do to go to DJ school. And it's a curious thing because I was married, had a kid. The Connecticut School of Broadcasting in nearby Stratford, Connecticut, would have a class that would have maybe 10 to 12 people in it. You would pay them $6,000 for an eight-month course and then maybe get a job in radio. Well, Rich, I was making $18,000 a year. I didn't have the extra money, but, you know, I wanted to see what I could do. So I went up there. It was a snowy day. It was a cold, snowy day, but there I went up to Stratford, Connecticut. And it had 75 people in the room who were auditioning to become some of these 10 or 11 people who would be accepted to give them the three or $6,000 to be, go to school. I thought, my God, this is bizarre. So what they did is they had everybody do a demo tape, and then you had to wait for three hours as they went over to demo tapes to see which of these tons of people were going to be accepted into their school. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this, this is more difficult than I thought. First name they called out, Ed Healy. So I go in the officer's forum, sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. The guy said, see you married, right? And I said, yeah, and he goes, well, we listen to your demo. Oh, God. He goes, you're a natural, dude. There's absolutely nothing we can teach you. You'd be wasting your money going here. I went, huh? <laughs> and he said, just just start making the tapes and send them out. You'll get a job in radio in no time. But again, it was another Mr. Hess moment, right? My head got ex- got exploded again. I walked out of there. I thought I was, you know, Mr. King Cut. And he didn't call you Doug. So He, he, he didn't call me Doug. So I had that going for me, which was nice. And then at, at that point, I started sending out tapes, and probably about a month later, my secretary at Hess said, there's a Pat Gillen on the phone. And she would screen all my calls. I was, you know, $18,000 a big shot, right? Right. And I said, now, who's Pat Gillen? I said, no, no, tell him I'm not here. She goes, you want to talk to him? So I said, all right. So she sends him through, and I said, Ed Healy. He goes, hey, Ed, Pat Gillen, WJLK, 94.3 WJLK, Asbury Park. She goes, ooh. He goes, hey, come on down. I got a job for you. Uh, once again, the head explodes. So that was, uh, I guess in April of 1980, just a few months after I told Jack I'd follow my dream and, uh, I was working at WJLK and, uh, Asbury Park. What was it like day one? <laughs> I almost peed myself. I was so nervous. I've opened up the mic. I practiced Rich for, you know, obviously weeks going up for it, you know, at Healy right. WJLK 94.3, you know, but I was perfect. I was perfect. I opened up the mic. It's like, <laughs> I sound like Porky Pig. How many years were you with them? Uh, JLK, I was there probably four years, and I went to CV 107 in Long Branch, and then back to JLK, and then in, I guess I'm trying to add up the years as we go here, uh, but overall between JLK and CV 107 from 1980 to 1995, so that's 15, and then in 95, we moved to Charlotte, and I got a job at uh, Charlotte's New Rock Alternative 1065, the end. And I was the wizard down there. How did the name wizard come about? Well, the, the truth of the story is that when I went to uh, Charlotte, uh, it was an alternative station. Ed Healy didn't sort of fit the program. It had to be alternative, you know, from the uh, the grunge music coming in from uh, Seattle, et cetera. So the guy said, hey, can you make up a name other than Ed Healy? Well, I said, how about the wizard? He goes, dude. Dude, you are the wizard. 
it, it, it was really wonderful because I was the wizard. I was the high priest of songs that didn't suck from the 80s, although the 80s wasn't really my style. I was more of a classic rock kind of guy, but uh, the, the legacy in Charlotte still continues. Now, to step back a, a little bit, for those who remember, I grew up listening to WNEW FM, and that was my ultimate dream, right, to be uh, where rock lived. And one of the guys who was the pioneers back in the mid-'70s, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, mid-60s to early 70s was Bobby Wayne, the wizard, and I always uh, admired him. So it was sort of uh, carrying on his legacy, if you will. Tell us some of your experiences. I mean, that, that's got to be an open book of uh, fantastic stories, and that experience has got to be phenomenal. Please share with us some of the people that you encountered? So it sounds like it's all good, but sometimes the encounters are not all that good. I remember early on in my days, in the early 80s in Asbury Park, I thought I'd try to be funny and uh, Ed Healy trying to be funny, right? Imagine that. Somebody very, very big. (laughs) uh, I, I did. I was on WJLK, and it was time to do the JLK Sports. So I said in JLK Sports, the Dodgers six, the Mets three, Yankees five, Red Sox three four, whatever that score was, right? And I said, in a World Cup soccer, Spain ate, Ethiopia didn't. Oh. So boom, right? Uh, Rich, I thought I was clever. I said, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I'm a funny guy to WJLK, right? So about 45 minutes goes by, and the guard calls up from downstairs. The station is in Asbury Park. And he said, you have a visitor? And I said, well, no, there's no visitor here. The dude, you got a visitor. So I turned on the monitor. We had a camera, and it was Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Yes, the Bruce Springsteen, not Rick Springfield, Bruce Springsteen. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> what was, your, what cool. was your next move? What did you do? Well, I, I, I put on three long playing records and the commercials, which you could with the program. I went down to meet my, my new fan. I thought, this is great. He's here to tell me how wonderful I am, right? Rich, I went down there. He ripped me from <laughs> from right to left. He goes, I can't believe you're talking about world hunger like that. Bruce was into world hunger. I, I didn't know. I I totally pissed off the boss. <laughs> well, you know, I'm so ashamed of you, Ed. I, I think we should cut this short. This is terrible. <laughs> well, the, the follow-up to that is he actually called the Asbury Park Press, and he, he was, you know, complaining about it. And, of course, that was pre-Born USA, so he was really, really big, but not as big. And for whatever reason, I guess my ratings were good, but the Asbury Park press, hey, he's a, he's a part-time guy. You know, his ratings are pretty good. We're, we're sorry. What could we do to make it up for you? So they came to me and I had to apologize on the air. And then my penance, get this, was to go down and serve dinner to the homeless along with Bruce and the East Street Band in Red Whoa. Bank. That, that. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. Insult them again. <laughs> I thought I'd do it more more often than that. Exactly. My God. Well, that's how you got your name. I mean, that's unbelievable. Who else did you run across? Well, there was another one in uh, in Asbury Park where I was on the air one day, and a guy called up and said, uh, this Ed Healy, I said, yeah, he goes, hi, this is Geraldo. Geraldo who? What can I do? What do you want to hear? He goes, no, it's Geraldo. <laughs> okay. He goes, I said, sorry. He goes, Geraldo Rivera. I said, yeah. He goes, I, I need a favor. He goes, what? He goes, everybody listens to JLK. My wife's dog's missing. I said, dude. And he gave me the description. He goes, can you please say something? I'm thinking like, no, I, I can't do that. He goes, it's Geraldo. And so I figured, you know, what the heck? You know, it's a Saturday afternoon. 
I couldn't, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't want to lose my gig, so I tried to call my station manager. No answer, so I, I figured what the heck. But anyway, we started saying, here's the dog's name. This is where it was. Gave a description of it. It's a long time ago. I forget what it was. But we found Geraldo's dog, Geraldo's wife's dog, and he was uh, totally thrilled with that. So, yeah, I pissed off Bruce, but I helped out Geraldo. What did you get in return? A thank you? That was it? Nothing. I, I, I would even he wouldn't even take me down to Red Bank Food Bank for uh, to feed the homeless. I got nothing. <laughs> Not a zilch. <laughs> See, that well, doesn't prove. Rich, you do something bad, you get rewarded. You do something good, you get nothing. Who have you met in the business that you are actually impressed with? I was in Charlotte one year, and I was supposed to introduce Yes um, at their concert. So beforehand, I went down. And I had a uh, I was had a meet and greet with John Anderson, the lead singer from Yes. And we met at a bar in in Charlotte, just you know, have a couple of coats or, or or whatever. And when I say impressed, I'm not really sure I was impressed, but we I sat and talked with John Anderson, I guess, for probably 45 minutes to an hour, and I had no clue what this guy was talking about. This guy was on planet Xenon. He was talking about fourth dimensional religion, and it's like, and he kept looking at me. He said, "And you understand what we're talking about, right, Ed?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And I couldn't wait to get out of there. But I, I was impressed by his intelligence, but I had no clue what he was talking about. We could probably talk about your music experience for a day or more. But many people don't know that you were the original drummer of the Citations. I was. I, I was indeed. We we started the Citations back in eighth grade, Woodbridge Junior High. It was uh, myself. John Carvana, Kenny LaPenta, and actually Bill Four at the time was there as well. And Joey Sansel, and Joe Sansel, who was the organ player for the Citations, actually played the accordion at first. So, yes, I was the original drummer with the Citations. In fact, if I may say so myself, I came up with the name Citations and the unique spelling. With the Y. Correct. And did you uh, copyright that? I did not. I, I did not copyright it. And, and in fact, um, if I if I may, I was with the citations before they were any good. All right, when I quit is when they got really really. Good. <laughs> I think one of the best things they ever did is I I I, I gave up my position as a drummer and I use that term loosely. I I, I had drums and sticks, uh, but um, at, at one point I, I I left the band and they uh, they found Boyd Carmen who was actually a real drummer, and <laughs> that's when they got good. We understand why now, with the background, why you became a Jets fan, um, but Yankees, you were a lifelong Yankee from day one, weren't you? Oh, yeah, and I, I give 100% credit that to my dad. My dad was always a Yankee fan, and I was born and raised on the uh, on the pinstripes. Not long ago, maybe a year or so, during spring training, you made a trip over to uh, their spring training site and you were able to take some photographs and had a great day there yeah uh that, that was uh, I, I finally decided after living in florida since uh 2000 that i should finally go see a spring training game and after 20 years i go and i see the yankees take some decent photographs and then covid hits and baseball season's canceled so i blame myself for that let's go back to high school for a moment no let's please Ed, was there ever a moment or one particular day, and it doesn't have to be just high school, but in your school experience, was there a standout day for whatever reason other than graduation? I think I always 
um, it probably wasn't one day, but I think a combination of, I forget whether it was nine or ten days, but uh, for our senior year, football games were special. I don't ever remember anything quite like having an undefeated season. It was just wonderful. If, if I may, let me take another step back. I, I think the Friday pep rallies leading up to the Saturday, just that whole Friday-Saturday experience on um, being you know, state champions, you know, watching the football team and not even, not even being a part of the team because I was too skinny to play, but just being so proud of uh, being a Woodbridge High School student uh, during those years. It was an exciting time, and I remember the pep rallies on the Friday afternoon, and you talk about the energy that was gathered in that gymnasium was amazing. It certainly was. Who were your friends? I, uh, um, well, like I said, my main guy, my, my right-hand guy was always Alan Devron, uh, but uh, Chico, uh, Ray Ruiz, oh, John Carvana, spent a, a lot of time with him, Bill Ford. I, I can go on and on. That's, Ed, um, Ed, do you know how Chico got his uh, nickname? I do not. Ray lived on on the street that a bunch of uh, his buddies around that age, they would get together and they'd play stickball in the street. And he just lived and breathed uh, baseball, uh, Ray did. His last name being Ruiz, at that time there was a ball player called Chico Ruiz. And I believe he's Puerto Rican as well as, as Ray is. And w- one of the guys on the makeshift team were delegating where everybody was going to play. And he says, you go play shortstop or second base. It was, he says, Ray, he says, you're Chico now from here on out, emulating so, the, the major league ball player. But so I, you say that I was there that day. It was actually Joe Jennis. Was it really? That's, it was Joe Jennis no. who said that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a small world, even though I yeah, wouldn't want to have to paint it. That's amazing. There you go. Yep. Wow. So you you tell the story better than Rich. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, no, I just have I, I got the punchline. I don't remember all the detail. I'm 68 years old. I <laughs> I enjoyed my high school years, buddy. All those brain cells are dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too much Stewart's root beer, I imagine. That's the reason. <laughs> Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes. Ed, it's time for the parrot question. I know you may not like it, but it's time to think fast. You've got a parrot given to you. you got to teach it something to say, and it's your choice. You could teach it whatever you want it to say. Fire away. I can't reach up. I swear to God. <laughs> Come on, Ed. I hmm. mean... You're letting a lot of people down here. This is a shame. <laughs> Don't make me edit this. This is a crime. The parrot. Oh my god. The, the, the parrot. I never liked parrots. That's you know what I remember? Parrots? No, parrots. The only thing I remember about parrots is the Monty Python thing where the parrot was dead. This parrot is no more. It ceased to be. Ed, <laughs> here comes the big question. Everybody gets it. You've been given a parakeet. <laughs> you need to teach the parakeet something to say. Come on. Fire I wish that was a parrot. No, it's a parakeet because you hate parrots. Oh, my God. I, I, would you think this would be the most difficult part of the conversation? Oh, my God. <laughs> Let me, no, no, no. You know what? Just hang in there. <laughs> or do you, you want to give it a stab? Come on. Can we just forget about the parrot? <laughs> I'm going to, because I'm a good guy and a fellow baseball team member with you, uh, I'll give you a pass. 
But <laughs> the next time we go to Stewart's, you pick up the tab. You got it, Rich. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything about Ed Healy that your classmates don't know about you that should? Yeah, I think most of the classmates know just if they follow me on Facebook, which everybody here probably has or at least had at one point, that I, I try to treat people with respect and dignity. I have my opinion. That's not a shock to anybody. What I really want them to understand is I honestly and sincerely, genuinely care about their opinion. They can have their opinion, and I'm perfectly fine with it. All I ask is that you respect mine because I certainly respect yours. Well said, my friend. Ed, we're going to close on the conversation with the questionnaire from the popular show, Inside Actors Studio. And I'm going to ask you for one-word answers. Take your time. First one is, what is your favorite word? Love. What is your least favorite word? Hate. What turns Ed Healy on? Music. Very good. That's two. <laughs> that's, that's Ed. You know, he doesn't follow rules. <laughs> we don't need your staking rules. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love to hear? Baby laughter. What sound or noise do you dislike? Crying. What profession other than yours would you have liked to have practiced? Lawyer. What profession would not like to attempt under any circumstances? Politician. If heaven exists, what would you like God to say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> I know better than this, but come on in. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's entitled to a mistake. Final question. If you had an opportunity to address the current student body at Woodbridge High School this year, 2021, you had their attention at an assembly, and you had a few minutes to talk to them. What would be the essence of your message? Always move, move forward. Don't ever wait for things to happen. Even if you make a bad decision, once you make a decision, you own that decision. Just keep going forward. Life's a lot easier once you take things in your own control. If you have control of your life, things are much happier. So even if it's you make a decision not to make a decision. If you understand that that in and of itself is a decision, you'll be a lot happier. Enjoy life. And I might add, live your dream. Ed. Well, yeah, <laughs> that would be it too, yes. And Ed, I speak for everybody. Thank you for taking the time to sit and talk with us. It's been a great it's afternoon. My pleasure. And a great conversation with a great friend. I thank you. Don't you think it's strange? Girl, put your records on. Tell me your favorite song. Yeah, go ahead, lay your head.